Well, here we are. It's the final episode of our Oscars run. And we did the three that we didn't do episodes on that are nominated for Best Picture. And then this is the third of the three movies we wanted to cover before the Oscars come out. And this one in particular, I'm really excited about because it is one of my favorite movies of the year for 2021. Wow. Was in that top 10? Yeah. I should have forced us to do a podcast on it earlier, but I'm glad that I didn't because you got to watch it finally. Mm -hmm. I did watch it. I don't watch a lot of Disney animation films, but when I do, you know, they only make high quality pictures. (laughs) Well, well, for the most part. Some more than others, yeah. But Encanto was a really special film for a bunch of reasons. Yeah, and it, Encanto, has been doing really well. Yeah. <laughs> and is nominated this year at the Oscars for Best Feature-Length Animated Film and might take the cake, in my opinion. I think it could. I think it will. But let's get into this movie. It is directed by three people. Wow. How is that possible? On animated Disney films, it's often directed by a duo. Rarely is it one person. But it is if Disney really trusts them. But I think Disney, uh, they like the collaboration, you know? Especially for people that already work well together. So it's directed by Jared Bush, Byron Howard, and Sharice Castro-Smith. This is her first time directing something. And had worked previously on Raya the Last Dragon. Byron Howard had previously directed Tangled and Zootopia. And Jared Bush had also co-directed Zootopia. And that was another film with massive uh, racial, I wouldn't even say undertones, overtones, because it was staring you in the face the whole time. And it was written by the same three people. Sharice Castro-Smith has a credit on Haunting of Hill House as a producer. That's dope. That's cool. And yeah, so then the music is the other really important element to this movie. All songs were written by the famed... The maestro himself. Lin-Manuel Miranda. The music was such an important voice in this film that one of the songs, We Don't Talk About Bruno, has gone on to top the charts for weeks, even beating out chart-topping hits such such as uh, Adele or Taylor Swift. We Don't Talk About Bruno is not even just like a kid's song, but a fun song that many adults love as well, including me. I had it in my playlist this last year. Yeah, that's Disney's sweet spot is, you know, hitting all demographics. Yeah, and I think this film in particular hit a lot of the demographics, in my opinion, more so than any other Disney film has in a long time. I can't exactly tell you how long. talk about the look and feeling of this film it takes place in colombia and adapts a lot of of the colombian aesthetic into it and the production design was by ian gooding and Lorelei bove ian had worked on princess and the frog moana chicken little and Lorelei. same same stuff big hero six yeah and it was edited by jeremy milton they even have three cinematographers listed here 
It's because cinematography is a completely different thing in animation. It's actually really interesting. The animator animates the subjects in the frame and they animate everything that's happening in the frame. Then the cinematographer takes that animation and that 3D setup and then they then position the camera wherever they want within the animation. And it was very dynamic in this film. Yeah. I don't have a lot of Disney animation to compare it to, but the camera was working overtime <laughs> in this movie. Really, the musical numbers were always high energy and flying around the Colombian village. <laughs> yep. The magical house, the yeah, casita. The casita. And this was the first film I actually took my daughters to. Ada was there too? In the theater. Yeah, crawling all over Allie. Was she like, cool? <laughs> nope. <laughs> but Gwen, lo- Gwen loved it. Nice. And then this movie dropped on Disney Plus like a month and a half later on Christmas Day. Christmas Eve, I think, actually, because we were watching it on Christmas Eve while we had COVID. Good times. A very COVID Christmas. But then, then yeah, then Encanto took over for Gwen and... And uh, we've seen it many, many times now in our household. It's been on a lot, if you know yeah. what I mean. You like to loop those those Disney movies, I know. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the cast, because that's also really important. Everyone is racially, I don't know, parallel to, <laughs> sure. I like to, that. to the characters that they're portraying. But first and foremost, Mirabel is played by Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yes. And she does a great job. She nailed it. I at first did not think that it was her because in Brooklyn Nine Nine, you know, she's like kind of like a tomboy. Yeah. And she's got that she Dead like pan. deeper register. Uh huh. And I was like, no way is this Stephanie Beatrice? She's like way too high, and she's singing like a like a little teenager, you know, really high pitched. She can sing, mom. Anyway, and her abuela Alma was played by Maria Cecilia Botero, and she was great. I love. The voice of her in this movie, uh, the abuela. Uh, Mirabel's older sister, Luisa. Jessica Daro played her. That's the strong sister. There is... The strong sister. <laughs> yeah. Isabella is Diane Guerrero. I think that was the perfect sister. Guerrero. Right? Yeah, she's the perfect one. And then where's Antonio? Antonio, there he is. Ravi Cabot Conyers. 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 Yeah, he played Antonio as the youngest cousin. Of um, the four cousins, right? Three. Three. And then there's the... Uh, Dolores, which is played by a, a, a girl I've never heard of named Adasa. And that, then, is that like Zendaya? It's just one iconic... Yeah, yeah. or Beyonce. Oh. And then Camilo, is my, my favorite character in this whole film, is played by Renzi Feliz. He's so freaking funny. And then we get into... The parents. Well, I should say the the second generation behind the abuela. There's three triplets, Julieta, Bruno, and Peppa. Yeah, Peppa, who controls the weather. Peppa is voiced by Carolina Gaitan, and Julieta is voiced by Angie Sapera, and Bruno is voiced by John Lee Gazamo. And Felix is married to Peppa. And he's voiced by Moro Castillo. I love that guy's voice. Yeah, he was probably my favorite voice in the film. Yeah, very funny. I'm sorry, me vida Augustine was played by Wilmer Valderrama. Yeah, he's from uh, that '70s show. Yeah, Fez. That's crazy. 
Yeah, an amazing cast of voices, and most of them can sing as well, which is really crazy. Also, credits to Alan Tudyk as Toucan. <laughs> he was the bird. I love Alan Tudyk. That's so funny. Okay. Yes. What is Encanto about? Family. <laughs> Get Vin Diesel on the phone, because... We're talking about family. One last ride. <laughs> yeah, it follows the, the Madrigal family. As you said, the abuela is like the matriarch of this town, really, this village that escaped. There's a flashback where they're escaping um, some kind of riots or civil unrest or invading nation. Oppressive government, maybe? Yeah. And they start this secret magical village up because of... A sacrifice. uh, Yeah. Abuela's... Husband. Pedro uh, lays down his life, which somehow ignites this magical candle, which in turn will give each generation, each individual from this Madrigal family powers, essentially superpowers. And this, it creates uh, a town around this house that they call the Casita. It is this magical, constantly evolving building with its own personality. Very cool. That was my favorite part of the film. Really? I'm a sucker for uh, weird fiction. And somehow the shape-shifting house, like, just really tickled me pink i mean like i was immediately th- uh, it reminded me i mean I don't, i'm not going on a rant i'm not going on a rant it was cool so anyway yeah and then the abuela has like you said three kids yep. and then those kids have kids and the story begins because mirabel is the granddaughter who did not receive powers mm-hmm. and no one knows why she goes on living for what maybe 10 years and then the, the movie begins with the next grandchild, Antonio, about to get his powers, and he gets his powers. We should say that the casita has these rooms, these doors that kind of appear, and then on the specific birthday, the coming of age, I don't know what the actual age is, probably like 10 or something like that, uh, the doorknob to the door sort of appears for that person, and they open the door, and then the door magically turns into... Uh, an image of what their gift would be and then they can open up that door and they have a new room so it's kind of like the the house kind of exists kind of like outside it's paracausal yeah space and time that it's kind like, of thing it's like uh it's like uh, it's bigger on the inside what did we call that In, uh, like pocket, pocket dimension? dimension yeah yeah or like the tardis from yeah doctor who bigger on the inside yeah so <laughs> mirabelle doesn't get a room she has stayed in the nursery the whole time with Antonio up until Antonio getting his own room, which is important for the story. I'll, I'll talk about it later. But feels bad to be stuck in the nursery and you're 16 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said there. But she she continues to be optimistic and upbeat regardless of her situation. Anyway, then what happens after Antonio gets his gift? Yeah, she gets sent. Well, not sent on a quest, but she she has this. Uh, portentous omen this this kind of foreboding vision where the house is cracking and the magic is going out and she has to try she makes it her mission to find out what that is because she doesn't have a gift and she's always felt compelled to you know be a part of the family and to contribute in some way so she makes this her mission to to kind of keep the magic from going out and that leads her on the trail of bruno who is the one of the children of abuela and her uncle yeah, one of the second generation who was like the black sheep of the family because his power was seeing the future. Typically very bad things that he would see. 
or just normal future things. But always inconvenient. And so that gave him a, there was a stigma yeah. around Bruno. And anyway, earlier in the film, they mentioned that he disappeared. Yeah. And so everyone's like, where is Bruno? But no one talks about Bruno. Yeah. And that's a musical number. But as, as Lin-Manuel Miranda said, saying we don't talk about Bruno is still talking about Bruno mm-hmm. because the whole family still talks about Bruno. That's kind of the joke. Exactly. Keep going. And she, on his trail, goes into his room, which in his pocket dimension is like an, is like a, <laughs> an Indiana Jones temple. Yeah. yeah. Of and sand. She makes it up this and mountain into this hidden chamber where there's uh, pieces of a magical green, like Disney villain mirror, like strewn about in the sand. And she collects the sand, gets that's, out that's right before. That's the prophecy. Yeah. She collects the, the mirrors and assembles it and sees the prophecy, uh, which is that she is tied to this. Bro- the house breaking. Yeah, the, this loss of magic and the housebreaking and this cataclysmic event. And then she finds Bruno in the walls. <laughs> she leaves Bruno's room and she eventually meets up with him. Bruno's been living in the walls of the house for like 10 years or something. It's and crazy. And re- repairing cracks. Yeah. he But he's like kind of lost his mind. He's friends with the rats. Uh-huh. He has split personality. Really funny, actually. That was one of my favorite things. I was laughing my butt off. Thinking about John Leguizamo doing all those voices. Multiple characters. Yeah. And then, so she leaves Bruno and she, what happens next? Well, they, she gets Bruno to do a new prophecy. Yeah, they go to Antonio's room and they do a new prophecy, which is just the same prophecy, but with more, which is, it reveals that somehow. She needs to talk to. She needs to hug Isabella, her sister. And this, this is uh, tricky for Mirabel because she is at odds with Isabella. Yeah. Uh, they're not. She thinks Isabella is perfect, and Isabella. Well, Isabella's thing is being perfect. <laughs> well, Isabella doesn't understand Mirabel because she thinks she doesn't try hard enough. So Mirabel goes to patch things up with Isabella. There's a song number there, uh, where Mirabel kind of helps her understand her. She doesn't need to be perfect, and they hug it out. Then Abuela sees that. Uh, because they've caused a huge mess in the casita. Yeah. And Abuela sees that as like a bad thing, like Mirabel's bringing disaster to the house again. And then the house really starts to just crack and crumble. And then f- and then it just completely collapses because Mirabel starts shouting at Abuela for not understanding that she was trying to repair the house Yeah. with the encounter with her sister. Which reveals Abuela's personal problems because she's always trying to keep everything together and very tight-knit and Mm -hmm. Mirabelle like you said counters with it's you Abuela Mm -hmm. that is causing the magic Mm -hmm. to disappear and that trashes the house and then yeah literally destroys the house and the village is at risk and then every like Mirabelle runs off and she's crying and she has this touching reunion with Abuela where Abuela you know is has this penitent kind of you know, I, I see what I've been doing and I'm sorry. And then they hug it out. Well, there's a little bit more. Yeah. They, there's this really well-received scene of a boy that kind of telling her story and realizing the thing that she was trying to do the whole time, which was create a safe place for her family, for her kids and realize that at a certain point it became more about the image than about, what it actually should be about, which is protecting her family and putting her family first. And that's told through this really beautiful song written by Lin-Manuel and sung in Spanish by Sebastian Yatra. 
Descansan sus noches y madrugadas. Amazing voice, and I love how he sung this, but that tells the story of Abuela and, again, her husband kind of becoming almost like refugees in a way, and yeah. her husband sacrificing himself to save the family. But anyway, Bruno runs up, ready to defend Mirabelle, and Abuela uh, just hugs him and diffuses the whole situation. They ride back. Then the Madrigal family, as well as the whole town, rebuilds the whole casita from the ground up just with practical means because at this point all the magic is gone because the candle burned out uh, because of what happened between Abuela and Mirabel. And then, then a really touching moment, one that has made me cry many times. The stars don't shine, they burn and the constellations shift The family in an ensemble number basically calls out Mirabel for being who she is and affirming who she is and telling her, you know, she is truly welcome in the family and that they all see her as she is and they offer her the doorknob. We see how bright you burn. We see how brave you been. Now see yourself in As she goes to turn the knob, magic disperses from the knob throughout the whole house, and she brings the magic back. And everybody gets their powers back, except for Mirabelle. She doesn't get a power. Her power is saving the day. (laughs) But then, this is where I was talking about the rooms. It shows very briefly in a pan that all of the rooms are now blank again. That means that everyone has to go find a new room and open a new door which was also really powerful imagery. I'm really glad that they put that in there because I was left thinking the whole time. I was like, is Mirabel going to have to f- stay in the in the nursery, nursery again? <laughs> like, can't she just get her own room? So I think they left it open-ended. And that's where the movie ends. Until Encanto 2. It's done so well. I think it actually is Disney's most successful animated film ever of all time. As far as like money, money's involved. Yeah that I feel like it is highly likely we'll be getting an Encanto 2. The search for more money. <laughs> <laughs> There's this a ripe world to tell stories in. It really is because I left that movie going, wow, I could have sat through another two and a half hours of that. So I could definitely see sequels. I have watched a lot of YouTube videos and like of behind the scenes and stuff about this film. One of the most interesting ones I saw was a fan theory stating that Mirabel's power and the reason she didn't get a room was because she's the person who is actually replacing Abuela. The governing over the family and their mm-hmm. powers and gifts shifted when she didn't get a door. And that's why the house crumbled when Abuela could no longer uphold it. And then why Mirabel was the one to bring the magic back. 
they both are coming from people who don't have a gift or a power. I like that. And that she's now going to become or, or, or is the keeper of the new gifts and stuff. So what would be interesting if that theory was true, if that played out in Encanto 2, the dynamic between Abuela having to come to terms with her not being in charge of the family or the gifting anymore, but Mirabel being the overseer of the family's gifts and stuff, or the flame of the candle, like you were just saying, would be a really interesting dynamic. I think they should jump forward another generation or two. I agree with that too. I think <laughs> I think it'd be rad to see Dolores got together with Mariano, who was betrothed to Isabella. But not out of love. But it'd be interesting to see even like 10 years down the road, Antonio would be older, but a lot of them could remain and look the same and have Dolores have a couple kids with powers, at least have that dynamic of adding a couple new elements. But anyway, yeah, I could talk about Encanto for a long time. I really loved this movie. Like I have said a few times, I think it is one of the best movies that Disney has made as far as animated features go, because Disney was first known for animated features. He was like one of the first people to ever make a feature long animation film. Yeah. For sure. With Snow White, it took like six or seven years to make that movie. Snow White? Mamma Mia. So Disney's known for their animated feature films. And, you know, they started it all, which is why they often win the Oscars. Because it's like, yeah, it's Disney. Like, (laughs) yeah, you know, but this one in particular, I've never seen a Disney film break formula in this way to the where they have made a movie that really hits home. No pun intended in the way of dealing with family of origin and family trauma and actually making a film about having to confront where you came from and not only deal with that psychologically, but actually confront the family members, hopefully in a healthy way. And because it's a Disney movie, it does end up being a healthy way that have hurt you or wronged you. And I've never seen, I mean, you don't, we hardly see movies like that just in general, let alone a Disney animated feature about confronting your family of origin, like specifically family members that you grew up with in your same household and having to deal with that head on. And I thought that was so brave and a beautiful sentiment and something that is important to pass on to the next generation. And I really hope this is a new formula that Disney is hoping to implement going forward in this style of filmmaking as they, as they continue to put out a new animated film every year or two because I think it's really important to actually learn about how to navigate the unspoken things that we all feel and that we're often handed from how we grew up and and navigate the world as an adult and I think that this movie like sort of paves a road to navigate that you know yeah well said (laughs) it's beautiful I think they will keep the ball rolling on that idea Mm mm-hmm seeing the success from it, but also just the last few movies that have come from Disney and Pixar have focused on cutting a little deeper, I think, and also covering different cultures from around the world. Sure. You know? But, yeah, you nailed it. I uh, If I had anything else to add, I would say I love that it... I love the way in which it tackled both sides of the self-worth mm-hmm. topic, mm-hmm. you know? Focusing first and foremost on Mirabelle, who is the one without the gift and her struggling with not being special. Right. You know, so many kids can probably connect with that, you know, whether it's sibling rivalry or just in the larger sense of the word. I love that idea. That's one of the reasons I liked 
the new Blade Runner so much is because Ryan Gosling is struggling with the fact that he is in fact not special and that he has to he has to find his own worth that it's not about what's assigned to you as an individual so Mirabelle goes out and she has to make something for herself and find her own self-worth yeah but all, they also covered the other side of that and my favorite part of the movie was when they first show you Louisa. yeah like the siblings yeah. and how all the siblings are well most of them anyway the ones they show you like Louisa and Isabella are damaged in their own way. I'm the strong one. I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. I move mountains. I move churches. And I glow because I know what my worth is. The weight of their gift is like a burden. And they are constantly worried about what would happen if they don't either live up to that expectation. You know, like, what are they without their assigned worth you know the family has given them this gift and they have to perform Mm -hmm. and like like for me as a firstborn i don't have any gifts that i'm here to celebrate but i i have often felt like you know that kind of surface pressure yeah there's that pressure exactly that's what louise's number was called i think right yeah she's talking about the pressure and she is like the strongest woman you know in the world and she's like i'm always worried about what if i can't carry this weight Mm -hmm. of the family I, to flesh out both sides of that, both the struggle of not having the gift and having a gift, yeah, was was really cool. Yeah, I agree, and I, I enjoyed that how they did that. There's a lot of characters with depth in this movie. Totally. I just made something unexpected, something sharp, something new. It's not symmetrical or perfect, but it's beautiful and it's mine. What else can I do? And Isabella too, like that song was based off of in the early nineties, there's a lot of like alt pop rock coming out of Columbia at the time that not a lot of people know about. And so Lynn Manuel made that song in the style of that. Her struggle with like it was weird at first. I was curious how they would approach like being perfect. But she's like she never got to express herself because there was like her gift is like she is she has to be this way i was like oh wow it's really interesting to see her like becoming to have her self-expression be just like being kind of messy yeah to extend that to the cousins like Dolores's whole thing is she's a gossip and that's how she deals with her insecurities yeah <laughs> she's constantly projecting them on other people Camilo's whole thing is that he's constantly joking and evading dealing with his own stuff by making jokes and constantly trying to make himself laugh or make a joke out of everything yeah and then Antonio is like the classic yeah uh, he's just a kid He's a kid, but but he he actually physically is hiding under the bed when we first meet him, yeah. Which is also really interesting. So like literally every single one of the family members has a thing, yeah. 
And then Peppa is constantly freaking out, which is why it's constantly thundering or hailing. Peppa needs therapy. <laughs> yeah. And then Julieta is actually the most together, I would say, out of out of uh, the family yeah. members. They didn't really get into her flaw she, so much. Yeah. <laughs> She's but, like the glue holding everything together. But she was she was the one who I feel like was trying to uphold the standards that her mom had. Yeah. So like while Abuela was trying to make sure everyone had this image to upkeep for, for the town that they've built around them. You know, Julieta was the one that was, she was a healer. She was the one healing people and trying to make sure everyone was okay all the time. So a lot of Enneagram there as well. Yeah. Good case studies. Yeah. I was super interested in the pre-production and like why they didn't do certain things or other things. Like why we never saw Luis's room, for example, Mm. like we never saw the inside and there was, there actually a, like a whole design that they made for her room. And it, really? would, it would essentially have been like a huge, uh, like gym, like where she could work out. <laughs> That's awesome. But then there's like this door within her what? room where she could open up and it was like a, like a playground, like to like kind of show this, like this innocence that she's always trying to retreat to mm-hmm. that no one knows about besides her. That's cool. Yeah. I'd love to see more of that. And then they also, they had other characters that then got replaced by the characters that they chose, obviously, but other characters had different powers and then they ended up using the ones that they use for a specific reason. But yeah, the powers they chose were very much a part of the characters. So I'd be curious what else they could cook up. Yeah. I really hope, like you said, if they do skip a generation or or go forward a little bit that we see more, I think that'd be really cool. Um, Encanto dos. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about surface pressure. We don't talk about Bruno. We've talked about Dos Oreguitas. We talked about Isabella's song and her coming up with the cactuses and uh, the opening song. Welcome to the family, Madrigal. The home of the family, Madrigal. Where all the people are fantastical and magical. That's who we are in the family, Madrigal. Adios. Family Madrigal is also really good, sung by Stephanie Beatrice. It's kind of going over her stance in the family and covering her family, and she keeps avoiding the question about what her gift is. But one of my other favorite songs on the whole track that no one really talks about is the Celebration song. Or was that the second number after the Family Madrigal? The second number is Waiting on a Miracle. Come on, I'm ready. Which is also by Stephanie Beatrice. That's like her anthem. That's where the character declares their biggest problem. Right. That always happens in a Disney film. The celebration song is called Colombia Mi Encanto. And it's sung by Carlos Vives, who's like a really famous Colombian singer. And he's got this like this super quality voice. It's the song that happens at Antonio's party. And then it's the song that the credits play through and it cuts the, the credits at the end, but it's supposed to mirror, you know, like classic Colombian fiesta style music. And oh, yeah.
That's a it's a groove. It's a yeah. total jam. And um, I was bopping. It's funny. We went to Disneyland a couple of weeks ago, and I can talk to Gwen through the baby cam monitor that we have. I you hold down talk, and you can talk to her. So to wake her up that morning, I played that song. And, and held it over the talk and then it played out of the speaker in her room and she, she, she was like what is going on <laughs> witchcraft I'm like it's celebration we're going to Disneyland it's Encanto nice yeah it's super fun this movie has brought a lot of joy and I maybe even healing to some people but I absolutely loved it like I said it's one of my favorite Disney films of all time now and definitely one of my favorite films of last year and i think in my opinion is the top contender for best animated feature you want to talk about what it's up against really quick yeah i think we might have glossed over it on the flea podcast and canto we also have luca was that uh, that was another pixar, pixar. Yeah. yeah disney animated as well but with pixar and then we have flea which we did a cast on or have. Yep, that was our last one. We got The Mitchells versus The Machines. Yeah, it's a Netflix, straight to Netflix uh, animated, which is actually really good. Yeah, a lot of people like that one. Should check it out. And then Raya and the Last Dragon. Raya and the Last Dragon was another Disney animated film that came out last year, but was more in the style of a princess film, but it was more like the princess is a badass and it takes place in China and... She kind of goes throughout the land, healing the land. It's actually, it was actually a really good story, really similar to Encanto as far as themes and healing and getting along with people that are unlike you, that kind of thing. Huge. Yeah. I didn't realize that was Kelly Marie Tran who played Raya. Yeah. That, that's a crazy cast. Holy smoking. <laughs> Aquafina, Sandra Oh, Gemma Chan, Daniel Day Kim, Benedict Wong. Gemma Chan. Gemma Chan? Gemma. I'm Jabe. <laughs> and this is Steven. And this is the cult pop. And I'm rolling my eyes at you, Gabe. I'm Jay. No, but Ryan, Ryan Last Dragon is actually really, really good. I would recommend checking that out too if you were interested. But maybe I will. Is Encanto the beginning of my Disney animated film binge? We have talked before about going back to the first animated feature that Disney's done, Snow White, and watching every Disney animated. Because I've seen very few on the cult podcast and and covering them in video format for the cult podcast. Let us know if you want us to do that, listener. That would be a lot of work. Or would it just but be it'd like be, a... It'd be super fun. <laughs> it'd be a lot of movies. You've seen... Have you seen like everything? I've seen most of them. <laughs> There's a lot of straight to video stuff that I haven't seen, and we probably wouldn't cover those, but I've seen most of everything else. The big ones. Yeah. I couldn't imagine one I haven't seen. Have you seen Cinderella? <laughs> <laughs> maybe once a week I how many dwarves it. are there with Snow I watched White? that movie <laughs> seven yeah. you know, I could name all the dwarves yeah you could recite those movies now that you have two daughters <laughs> anyway so this has been our Encanto podcast and I'm so glad we got to do it because it would have been a real shame I think if we didn't cover this film in its own episode because yeah. I loved it so much it's that good and I'm happy that you got to watch it it means a lot it means something to me that you took the time to watch it I'm glad I watched it. It was good. I mean, if nothing else, I had a large amount of good faith stocked up after Soul, which was like one of my favorite movies of, was that last year? 2020. 2021? 2020. 2020. It came out on Christmas Day in 2020. I loved Soul. Yeah. Yeah. 
So these these movies are always good though. Like I I really want to watch Raya because I know that's like a much more magical film. I mean, this was magical, but it's much more like princess fantasy. story. Yeah, you got dragons, the last dragon. Remember Mushu from yeah Mulan? Vaguely, <laughs> he's not in it. That was Eddie Murphy, right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, go check it out if you haven't seen it. Go watch Encanto. I've seen it a hundred times. Would you watch it a hundred more? Yeah. There you go. Literally every time I turn it on, I begin watching it. It's a glowing endorsement from uh, the man who's hard to please, Stephen Burnett. Just ask my wife. Oh, no. Can you name all seven doors? Maybe. Do it. Happy, sleepy, dopey, bashful. Yep. What's the angry one's name? <laughs> the angry one. <laughs> Grumpy. Grumpy. That's what I was going to say. What's the yawning one? No, I mean the sneezy one. Sneezy? <laughs> sneezy. <laughs> okay, and who's the last one? You're never going to get this. Is it the smart one? It's the smart one. If you pull this out of your ass right now, I'd give you mass props. Wait, I feel like I know this. Can you give me a hint? <laughs> give me the first letter. He's not in and a Y. Think of someone you go to to receive intelligent advice from. Oh, is it Doc? Oh my gosh. You got it. I told you it was in there somewhere. Wow.